Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson Cohen, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life. Today is extremely special for a lot of reasons. One, because you have two hosts, Kristen Guile and I are here and you have our new best friend and author of The Power of Ritual, Casper Turkile, who is here. Casper, should I attempt to say your many titles or would you like to do that? Listen, it's the most awkward thing when someone like st- stumbles through the title. So I will, I will gladly introduce myself. Um, I uh, Basically, I get to think about like community and religion all the time as a job and how people can live lives of meaning and connection and purpose. And some of that happens through research, and I'm a ministry innovation fellow at Harvard Divinity School. Some of that happens in practice in a community that I lead with a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Um, but really, it's all the same questions, but with just different hats on. So um, yeah, hope, hope, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll find something to talk about. <laughs> I'm sure we will. If our pre-show banter is any indication, we're in good shape. We had great pre-show banter for the official audio record. Wouldn't that be a bummer if we turned on record and like we just didn't get just, along anymore? <laughs> uh, one thing I'd like to point out before we go into questions is that the pronunciation of Kristen Guile's name and Casper Turkile's name, um, they have a similar way to explain it to people. Would either of you like to tell the audience? Well, I'm so glad you do it, Kristen. Um, we always say, or at least this this Guile says, uh, Kristen Guile rhymes with smile. And it's just the easiest way to get people to understand how those four little letters make sense coming out of someone's mouth. And, and until the, and, I, I had never heard anyone else use that until Casper chimed in today. And the best thing is when you say it, they also smile. So it's a great way of just being like, and have a nice day. You can say my name and smile. (laughs) Oh, it's delightful. And this is also a delightful conversation for me for a number of other reasons, which I'll detail throughout our conversation. But I'm going to give you two right now. Are you guys ready? All right, here we go. Okay, so the first one is, I think I've waited my whole life uh, to read books and then get to talk to the author. So I'm pretty sure that's why we started A Sweat Life. (laughs) She was really playing the long game. (laughs) Yeah. And then the second reason is Kristen and I, this week, actually, um, we hosted a little like reverse book club that we're calling The Reading Rainbow for Adults. And we featured your book, Casper. We tagged you all. It was so fun. And we actually did your practice of, well, your your advisor's practice of Lectio Divina. Yeah. which was so delightful. So it's fun to get to talk to you now, but before I spend the whole time talking and not letting you talk, Casper, let's jump in. Talk to us about what the past couple of weeks have been like as you start to depart Harry Potter and the sacred text and move on to the real question, your new podcast. Yeah, that's right. So this has been a huge part of my life for like six years, which is which is kind of wild. Um, you know, I met my co-host Vanessa Zoltan in Divinity School, and both of us were really interested in kind of learning from religious tradition, but really speaking into uh, a secular culture. I didn't grow up with any sort of religious background. Vanessa grew up very Jewish, but also a very strong atheist. Um, but we were both really like we both love books, we both love community, we both love thinking through big questions together. And so she had written her thesis about reading Jane Eyre as a sacred text. And so turning to this wonderful kind of, you know, literary classic to ask big questions about, 
mental health, about friendship, about suffering and loss. And I went along to this little session that she was running on Wednesday evenings with four other women. It was like a great book club, but they were doing these practices, like you were saying, like Lectio Divina. And I was like, what is this? Like, what is going on? And I loved it so much. And I said, Vanessa, why don't we do this with Harry Potter? A book that people have mostly actually read. Um, so <laughs> that was kind of the beginning of this journey. And so we've been turning to this book every week now on the podcast, as I said, for more than five years with a, a huge community of people, not just listening, but getting together in local groups, raising money for all sorts of incredible causes. They even started a mutual aid fund at the beginning of COVID, like among podcast listeners. Um, they've come to tens of live shows. Like it's just an amazing, like real community that's grown out of this in part because people already love the books and they, they love conversations conversation about life, but we were able to give it some structure. So for me, it's been a beautiful sense of completing something. You know, we've read all seven books. We just finished um, my last episode, which was rereading book one, chapter one. That feels like the right way to end something is at the beginning. And I've handed it over to one of my old professors, who's now going to read them again with Vanessa um, on the next journey through the text, because that's how we engage sacred texts. We always come back to them. Um, so it feels it feels right. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of like smiling because in my household as a kid, I was always told that I started lots of things, but I didn't finish them. And I'm like, look, mom, I finished something. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a dabbler. I, you know what? We should find a better word for dabbling because I have, you're not the first person to say that. So it's like, is it experimenting? Is it about like innovating? I don't know. But yeah, dabbling is true. Okay, let's call you an innovator. Kristen, are you aligned with the term innovator? The the only other term that I thought of was like an incubator. Like you <gasps> grow an idea and you start it. And then yes. when you're ready to hatch, you move on. Yes. Yeah. Because someone else is going to do a better job of like taking that and growing it or making it more solid or whatever needs to happen for it to thrive. Yes, exactly. This is actually uh, an episode of We Got Brainstorm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to brainstorm new ideas. One other thing um, that I'd love to just, you know, spitball with you here is I love the fact that you and Vanessa, well, first of all, I'm obsessed with your friendship. Um, and I love, I love that um, you both sort of like have this interesting relationship with religion that kind of comes out yeah. in your conversations. You also write about it in the book. Um, and I think you've both come to an interesting conclusion that for you, it's, it's about community more than it is about like a certain set of beliefs. Um, right. I'd like to coin that for you. <laughs> Tell me what you got. <laughs> Kristen's like, have you just been sitting thinking about this for weeks? The answer is yes. yes. Um, I think you're a kindness. A kindness. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Like I believe in kindness kind of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, do you know what's so interesting? I feel like so much of how we think about religion, especially in America, is like, do you believe in this thing, right? Like, and nearly always it's got this like slightly, well, more than slightly, an echo of like a, <laughs> do, you, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? Yeah. Kind of vibe. And like the answer for me, certainly as a gay teenager was hell no, right? Like I felt very rejected by religion. So I rejected religion too. And so most of my research and my practical like experience has been focused not on the beliefs of religion, but on the practices, right? The way in which people make meaning, build community, just like you were saying, um, by, by reading texts as sacred, by, you know, practicing a text Sabbath and, and other kind of practices that we'll talk about. 
And now that I focus so much on the practices, I'm starting to be like, well, but each of those practices gives like it gives a little home to a set of values. And we we can say values, we can say beliefs, but like there are stories that we tell when we practice something. There are there are commitments that we make in our lives when we practice something. And so I can't say that I'm completely leaving belief outside of it. You know what I mean? So I find myself really in 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 a conversation about I think we've just misunderstood religion. We've kept it too small. And it's actually something much richer, some something much more exploratory and undefinable that makes, for me, you know, it, it, it helps me pay attention to the things that matter most, the people I love, the values that I hold, the things that are hard but beautiful in life. Um, like, that's that's what I want to be. And so may, maybe kindness is, is the right word for it. I, I definitely think we need new words because the words that we have right now feel like they fall short. I actually tried inventing a word a few years ago with my colleague Angie Thurston at, at um, Sacred Design Lab, the work that's come out of Harvard Divinity School. And we kept hearing people say things like, oh, it was such a human moment or like, this was a place where I could feel really human, right? Like, and and that word suggested intimacy and vulnerability and truth and beauty and pain, like all, all these things mixed together. And so we tried to create a new verb, like, do you need help humaning? <laughs> it did not resonate wildly, but it was an effort, right? Like, I think we do need to try and create new words. So A plus for, for that effort. <laughs> we went on a long and wild journey with that one. <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, and what one thing you brought up was, was your work um, on how we gather, uh, which you yeah. just mentioned briefly there, but you actually hear fitness professionals mention how we gather all the time. Um, without, really? Yeah, it's, ah, it's cool. mentioned in so many works. And I don't think that um, a lot of folks realize it is you um, who did the work. And I, I love that we are finally connecting here. So if you'd like to touch on how we gather and, yeah. and what you found there. So just just as the Harry Potter work was starting, I was starting another project with my with my friend and now colleague Angie Thurston. Again, another classmate from Divinity School, and like like Vanessa and I, we were also interested in this question of what's happening in the world outside of religion that nonetheless feels connected to some of these religious themes. So, you know, as an unaffiliated millennial and you know, someone who doesn't go to a, a church or a congregation of some sort, where are people going to find unity and meaning? And when we started interviewing people and kind of looking around in the local landscape, even just in Boston, the first answers that came back time and time again were CrossFit, um, were SoulCycle, were all of these fitness communities, bar classes, like all of these, you know, uh, uh, um, Tough Mudder, right? These obstacle courses, the, what has since been kind of called boutique fitness, which I don't think is the right word for it, honestly, but essentially not just exercise that's about you and your individual fitness journey, but about a broader community of support and accountability, about, you know, having a community with whom you also volunteer or you do a stand-up comedy night together or you go for drinks on a Friday night or you make sure that someone who's in hospital has food and, and care for their dog, you know, all, all of the things that you would expect to see in a religious congregation, you could start to see in the CrossFit gym, right? People actually getting married in the gym, people hosting funerals there, people hosting their goodbye parties when they moved to Ohio. Like all of that community life was happening in the gym. And so we were like, well, this is kind of like a congregation and it offers beautiful 
opportunities, right? Like this is a place where people look for for transformation of themselves and their community. It's a place where they look for an opportunity to be creative, to be of service. But it also comes with additional responsibilities for the leaders. So if you're a trainer and you're sleeping with your clients, that's not just like a dumb business move. It's it's also an ethical violation, right? I think because you you are not just there to help someone know how to like squat correctly. They're turning to you when their mother is diagnosed with cancer, right? They're they're asking you for help if they've been laid off at work. And so it's a very different dynamic of what a healthy community looks like when we bring that kind of pair of lenses to it, like when we look at it in that way. So how we gather was a little report that we wrote that looked at 10 case studies that illustrated how secular people were going to these ostensibly secular places, but finding something that was much more spiritual than you would expect. Oh boy. I think we should jump in. (laughs) Kristen, do you want to ask the first big question? I do. I really do. All right, Casper, as we have mentioned before, we ask our guests two big questions on every podcast and I'm going to ask you the first one. So what is a big goal that you have had in the past? Why was it important to you and how did you get there? Oh my goodness. Well, um, one, one of the things that definitely felt like a big goal was writing a book. Um, and so <laughs> that came out in June of, of last year. Um, and the, how, how do you get there is a very kind of difficult question to answer. Cause of course it's made with a hundred different things, but the thing that I'll, I'll focus on in my answer is that all through graduate school, I would underline things that I was reading and was interested in. Eat things even not for class, just stuff that I was interested in, a good novel or a, you know, something that really struck me in a newspaper article. And I would always put those things on a pile and then type them up later without knowing why. I just had a sense that I needed to document these kind of cool ideas or this like really beautiful phrasing. And and I have these endless, endless word documents full of quotes that I love or interesting ideas. And so when it came time and and the kind of stars had aligned and you know there was a book deal and all of that kind of thing, I wasn't starting with a blank page. In fact, I was starting with like 200 pages of other people's notes. And honestly, the process of writing a book is like being locked in a room with the most stupid version of yourself. It is horrendous. Like you're just constantly encountering your own inadequacy. And like, why did anyone think you could do this and you're useless? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And so honestly, the first draft of the book was really me leaning on other people's ideas and phrases to help me figure out what I was trying to say. And thank God for my editor who looked at the first draft that I handed in and just said, well, Usually people develop this a little further before they show me something. (laughs) Casper. (laughs) But it was the first step. You know, I just needed someone to be like, okay, you've done this. Well done. Now let tell me more about this. Let's leave aside that. And the thing that she kept saying was like, you don't need all these other voices. Tell me what you think. But I needed those people there to help me express what I was saying. So I, I guess what I'm pointing to is that, you know, with writing a book, it's not necessarily that you have to say something new. It's that you just have to say something that's been said before in a way that you would say it. And that was such a, that was such a relief, you know, because uh, it meant that I didn't, you know, I didn't have to have all the answers or know exactly anything new, but I, I could find a way to say it in my voice. How did you end up feeling about the, the timing of your book coming out? You know, you said your book came out in June I'm sure when you were workshopping this with your agent, you weren't uh, anticipating a global pandemic and right. racial injustices going on throughout the world. I, I'm so yeah. curious, like, 
whether you saw your audience grab onto something different from your book that maybe you expected when you were writing it. Yeah. You know, we had planned a 21 city tour and live shows and like, you know, all of this amazing stuff. And so I would, I was definitely sad. Like in April of last year, I really had to contend with like, okay, that's not going to happen. And there were three days of like feeling very sorry for myself. And Ben and Jerry's and I stayed in bed together for quite a while. Um, but what was so interesting was that, and you're really right to point to not just the pandemic, but also the Black Lives Matter movement that, you know, in June, that was really, we had helicopters above our house every night. And I'm in downtown Brooklyn, um, you know, people were on the street and it was this incredible, it was a moment of reckoning again, unfortunately, again, but it, it really was a conversation in which white people especially were confronted by the reality of racism in, in a way that I think for some people was was still new. And it just meant that a lot of the assumptions about how the world worked, both with COVID and, and with Black Lives Matter, a lot of the assumptions about how time worked, what our days look like, what our priorities should be, were different. And so I think a lot of people were looking to make meaning. And, and rituals are one of the ways in which we do that. And so in some ways, actually, the book came at the perfect time. And, and I think for a lot of people who were having to refigure what their lives look like, the book was really helpful. Um, because so much of my approach to ritual is not that it has to be something that's complicated and far away and, and, and exoticized nearly, but that it, it starts in the everyday habits that we already have, that that's where we can develop the rituals that are meaningful to us. Um, so in some ways, like being stuck at home and having to figure out a new sense of time and what your day looks like and what your priorities are, that, that, was, that was very lucky that it came out at that point. Do I want to meet the people who actually read it? Yes. And do I want to see it in a bookstore that actually has the book? Yes. But those days will come. <laughs> uh, well, you're talking to two people who read the book right now. So yeah. <laughs> and then I'm curious too, um, two of the big areas of ritual that you focus on, as we're going to talk about a lot, were fitness and eating communally. Um, yeah. And I know that our community reckoned a lot with having that yeah. taken away from them over the pandemic, did you find just anecdotally from people you heard from that the Zoom and the virtual workouts were able to still like get that same level of meaning or was it just a little bit of like, okay, this is better than nothing for now until we can gather in person again? The first thing I want to say to that, Kristen, is that like, it's so important to honor that sense of loss that we felt when when it wasn't possible anymore. Because it's so easy to just look at the thin layer of what you can see on the surface of like, oh, I couldn't hang out with my friends or like, oh, I couldn't be together, right? And that points to some of the depth. But like, if this is the way in which we feel community, if this is the primary way in which we feel connected to the world beyond us, like not being able to do that is a freaking huge deal. And I actually think it's really important to just take that seriously for a moment and be like, yeah, this is, this is how I, this is how I anchor my week, right? Like this is how I start my day, or this is how I know that it's the weekend. These, these are much bigger than just like workouts, right? So let's start there. And so absolutely there's been a loss that I think you can't replace, right? Sharing a meal on Zoom, sharing a workout on Zoom is fine as like a maintenance thing. But in my experience, it doesn't feed us in the same way that being together is. So you can maintain a relationship, you can maintain a community for some time, but boy, is it different. Um, and I think there are other ways in which people have discovered, like whether it's just audio or whether it's, you know, 
maybe you're, you're doing the fitness like workouts together on zoom, but there's something else, right. You're sending each other letters. Like, I don't know what the other things are, but, the, but we need something in addition to just the, the kind of virtual workouts that, that we've had. So my sense is that, you know, that there's such a conversation about, especially with Peloton, right? Like the fitness world is changing and there are ways in which you can mediate a sense of a larger connection. But I think the, the, the fitness communities that are really going to thrive are the ones who take most seriously that this isn't just about like a healthy body or like losing weight or being strong, that this is actually about building a community that supports each other in different ways as well. That, that this is a group of people who show up for each other and encourage each other. And, you know, all the, all the things that we know have happened in the best, healthiest, like fitness communities. Those are ones that I, I think people will still want to pay for. Um, and and will thrive in a post-pandemic world. But I don't know. What do you think? You're the experts. Gina, I'm going to let you take this one because I know you have a lot of thoughts. Millions. Um, I'll say, Casper, actually, um, as I was reading the section about fitness in yeah. The Power of Ritual, there was something that actually just like stuck out at me um, or stuck out to me. And that was the bit about um, fitness communities becoming like the people you call on when things yeah. are in peril. Um, yeah. Like when there's a death, people show up with food. And yeah. I actually thought back um, to our community when when we early on had someone who lost her father and mm. people arranged like a meal a meal train for her. And, right. and I, I think you're absolutely right. This isn't just happening with the sweat life. This is happening in the best, uh, the best curated communities where people are like, yeah. no, this is about humans. And we're also yeah. seeing this sort of shift to self-love. I, and I yeah. think that that is the reason people are working out now. And that is the reason why people are choosing to move their bodies is to say like, Hey body, I love you. Um, instead yeah. of saying like, Hey body, please change. And that, like, I mean, just on a personal level, that's one thing that for me shifted in the pandemic. Because, like, I've never been super comfortable in my body, but this mm-hmm. year, thanks to Coach Matt, who I recruited, I was like, I don't, I don't need someone to, like, show me how to lift the barbell. I need someone to be like, well done. I'm so proud of you. Send me a picture, like, that you did it. Like, support and accountability. Mm-hmm. And so, like, every day I'm sending him a selfie. <laughs> and he's like, yes beast mode you're amazing <laughs> and it's and it's not to like lose something but it's to but it's to become someone right and it's to, and it's to like feel a fullness of who we already are right that that beautiful mix of like being and becoming um and th- there's something that you just said Gina about like the the communities of support like this is this is so huge because in when we think about ritual often now we think about an individual practice and actually what i love about both eating together and working out together is that there can be communal practices that mediate a sense of connection much faster than conversation mm-hmm. so often we think about community building means conversations and that's part of it but like if you're moving in a, a synchronous way with other people to the same music right if you're dancing if you're singing if you're uh, even even keeping silent together with other people you feel part of something bigger than yourself so quickly. And that's that's part of what these practices are about is that they help us remember that we're not alone. And so that's that's what's harder to sustain when you're doing it over Zoom, right? That sense of a communal experience that helps you feel part of something bigger. Um, and that's why I think people are willing to help each other out and support each other when, when the times get rough and to celebrate each other when the times are awesome. Mm-hmm. 
Gina, I think we need to tell him about the ritual that we have before our sweat working events. Yes, please. Oh, we're so happy to share this with you. And I think you'll be so proud. Um, oh my so, gosh. so when, when we host events and when we're in real life with other humans, we start by essentially turning into camp counselors. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. So we we stand at the front of a room filled with mostly like Lululemon clad women um, yes. who are, in the beginning would look at us with blank faces. But as we've done this more and more, they know what's coming and they're like ready. Um, and this is probably exactly what happens when you host your events and you're like, we're going to do Lectio. And people are like, yes. 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 Um, so we, we stand at the front of the room and just make a fool of ourselves for like two to five minutes. Um, so we, we always say, uh, at sweat working, which is what we call our events, we do two big things. Um, we're here to try new things. So please raise your hand if you're brand new to this. So Love people it. will raise their hands and everyone claps for them. And we have then acknowledged that you are not alone in being new. Amazing. And then we ask them, uh, or we tell them that we're here to meet new people. So please raise your hand if you're brand new to sweat working. And then everyone claps for them while their hands are in the air. And then we force them <laughs> into a conversation with other adults. We give them like two prompts. We, we say, introduce yourself to two people yeah, uh, and tell them, and we'll give them like a stupid prompt, your favorite right. fruit or the right. best smoothie you've ever had. I was thinking favorite fruit. I was thinking banana as you were saying favorite fruit. Wow. In terms, Zoom is actually totally able to connect at different levels. Love it. Whoa. <laughs> oh, I'm giggling, but I'm trying not to because I don't want our editors to yell at me for like silently wheezing on the microphone. Casper, <laughs> uh, can I we love that. talk forever? <laughs> and I actually, I also wanted to note when we did our event with your book this week, we talked specifically about fitness communities and we asked people, um, because we talked about how you can make a connection quicker, um, in a fitness setting. And we, we quoted that from your book and people like waiting immediately talking about how, like, if you run side by side, it's so fast. If you're at CrossFit, it's so fast. Kristen, should we ask the second question? Cause we can't keep Casper forever. We should. I was just, uh, becoming aware of the fact that (laughs) We, we have a time limit, unfortunately. Yes, so um, fine. Yeah. All right. Well, question number two, it's just a twist on the first one. So you're not going to be surprised. It is. What is a big goal that you have for the future and why is it important to you? And how are you planning on getting there? Well, I will say I find this question beautiful and challenging because we live in a culture where we are always supposed to do more and faster and better. And at the same time, I'm really trying to lean into the sufficiency of what we have because I have so much and I like I am so lucky in so many ways. So I'm sitting with this question of a big goal because partly I want to say something like a post-COVID gathering that I can't wait to host. So, for example, my husband and I always host a black tie Christmas carol sing-along spectacular where everyone has to come in like, you know, tuxes and evening gowns, or at least as formal as they want to go. And he bakes for like three days and we have these amazing like cakes and beautiful things and um, this beautifully decorated Christmas tree and he's playing piano and we lead everyone in like multi-harmony Christmas carols. And it's our favorite night of the year. So like we missed out last year, obviously, and I cannot wait to host that party again this coming Christmas. Um, And that's kind of like, 
I think one of the joys of rituals is that they because they come around every year, right? If it's a if it's a ritual in time, it means we always have something to look forward to. So I, I'd say like that's a goal that's already like in my life, but it's coming back. But in terms of an, a, a new thing, I've been thinking recently, wouldn't it be so fun to like host an Ellen-like chat show, but oriented around like purpose, meaning, and community? I just, I think there's yes. something there. Yes is the answer to that question. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's, I, I, let's make that happen ha- somehow. You're the host, right? I mean, your voice I is- I hope so. Yeah. Your voice is very soothing to me. <laughs> so, so I need this in my life. Um, yeah. Let's go. Do it. Yeah. Let's make it happen. So we'll see. <laughs> Who would your ideal guest be on this well, Ellen like show? See, I would want to bring in people that like- are so amazing, but no one has heard of. So like my 87-year-old Catholic nun friend, Sue Mostella, who I actually quote in the book because she's lived in community for like 65 years and she's always the first person to say like, community is wonderful and it's awful. (laughs) She's very honest about the reality of it. But like people who are like wise and smart and who could share stories and like wisdom, I just feel like, that would be great. So I, the, the kind of people I'd want to invite are like Sister Sue. Mm. <laughs> Sister Sue. That. Keep oh, that man. idea percolating. Keep that big goal. Keep incubating. Um, <laughs> yes. One more question that I know we, we want to make sure we ask because we've been focusing on this question for guests. Um, mm. I'm doing a big dramatic hand gesture uh, throughout all of this. Um, but we want to hear sort of like a silver lining note from you over the past year. So what, what lessons from 2020 are you taking into 2021? Mm, yeah. I mean, one, one of them for sure is that I've never spent this much time with my husband it, it like continuously back to back. And it turns out I really like him. Um, <laughs> and not everyone has been able to say that this year, right? Like there are relationships that have ended and I'm, I'm super grateful that, we've taken I think we've really taken care with each other you know we've we've tried to be very conscious about what the other one needs and how we can sometimes like we need more space and so like I'm gonna go for a walk so you can have some time right all of that kind of stuff that I know so many couples have navigated um so I want to hold on to the the joy of just having lots of time together um as we, you know, as we transition into I keep saying post-pandemic but that's probably the wrong way to say it like a new new pandemic reality um but uh yeah so that's one thing I'm curious about you both like what are you taking with you I think I'm and Gina will I'll let you answer for yourself of course but I'm personally taking into the idea of slowing down more you know I, I think a lot these days about what my life used to look like before the pandemic and I was teaching group fitness four times a week. I was up at 6 a.m. most nights or most mornings. And, you know, there were days when I had more than one thing to do, you know, and today I'm like, oh man, I've got dinner tonight. Like I really better save up my energy for, for that. Um, yeah. So just sort of tuning in more to where it's appropriate for me to slow down. And when I feel like my energy is at sort of a higher level and yeah. being okay with like flexing on that a little yeah. bit. Gina, what about you? That's really smart. I feel like mine is similar um, to yours, Kristen, but I I think, and to both of yours, it's just like learning 
to love again, if that makes sense, like to, to like love myself and just mm. spend time with my husband too. Like we, we actually had a startup that we were running together and we shut it down like in October of yeah. last year. And that was just like a very trying experience, um, for a couple to go through. And then this year it's been yeah. like, you better figure this out. <laughs> you, better yeah. make, you better friendship again. Um, and and yes. luckily we also like each other. So we friendshiped and now we have um, our very own rituals like Burger Friday. That. Yes, that's so much fun. Yes, we do oven fries and like Beyond Burger like weeknight dinners. Yes. Um, the other thing I will say, which just feels really connected to what you were saying, which is that like, one of the reflections I had is it's not just that I miss other people from the before time. I'm a huge extrovert, but I miss the me that I am when I'm with those people. And that felt like such a helpful (laughs) reminder of like, yeah, who I've been this year is part of who I am, but there's been a part of me that's missing. That is who I am when I'm with others, like in that rich kind of communal form. So that's, that's something I'm really looking forward to having back for sure. So I have both. That is so interesting. I've never thought of it quite that way before, but you're right. Like there is a different person that comes out when you're with a group of close friends versus when you're, you know, interacting with those third level acquaintances at a party right. where you both only know the host versus right. interacting with like the small talk with the barista. Um, that's right. Oh, yeah. that's really powerful. Casper. I think mm. I would like the listener at home to know how big Kristen and I nodded our head um, at, that, at that statement too. It was like from top of the Zoom box to bottom. Um, we agreed so hard with that statement. Kristen, should we ask a couple of rapid fire questions? Yeah, go for it. All right. Um, question number one, you're, you have your ritual of tech Sabbath, uh, which will start at sundown shortly. Um, yeah. And you used to have space from your husband on those days. What do you do now for tech Sabbath? Well, I still I still do the same ritual, but now um, we get pastries on Saturday morning and watch RuPaul's Drag Race in bed. <laughs> count it. So that doesn't count as tech for me because it's watching on his computer, which is also the TV. <laughs> if it's not your tech, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no email. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, favorite book of Harry Potter right now? Oh my gosh. It changes every time I read one. So we just finished book seven. So I'd say book seven, although usually it's book four, but Mm -hmm. like, I always think book seven is just this endless wilderness journey where they're lost and cold and like campsites, but it's actually much better than that. So (laughs) I think the battle of Hogwarts is one of my favorite chapters of any. Oh my God. Just uh, legendary. Totally. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question. This probably shouldn't have been saved for the rapid fire section. So get ready. Uh, You and Vanessa did a really good job of navigating this sort of imperfect nature of JK Rowling um, in this time in this year when we, she showed her colors as transphobic. Um, So would love to hear just a little bit on how you were able to unite your community even through that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a a, a huge question. And, you know, this wasn't the first time that she tweeted stuff that was transphobic. But now over the summer last year, she released this huge essay, which really went in and was unfortunately filled with just both factual errors and really misleading kind of rhetoric. Um, And, you know, one of the one of the things to think through for us is we've used this language of sacred texts. And any person who is, you know, religiously literate is very aware that religious texts 
are also hella problematic here and there, mm -hmm. right? And your your constant religious texts or sacred texts are never perfect. They can they can be sacred without being perfect. Because for me, the way I think about it and our project does is not that the text somehow was given to us by some divine power, you know, J.K. Rowling in Edinburgh or some divine being elsewhere, but that what makes a text sacred is a community that comes back to it to ask to ask real questions of it, to, to help navigate life. Um, that these are not necessarily prescriptions for how to live, but really descriptions of how other people have lived and that we use them as mirrors to see ourselves in. So when, when this happened, there was a real conversation that we had, you know, internally and then with our listeners where we were navigating, is it still okay to turn to these texts? And for some people, the answer was no, right? For some people, it was too painful to encounter these texts now that they were tainted in this way. For others, it was, you know, okay, but we have to we have to point out its shortcomings. We have to be really rigorous about seeing what is imperfect about these texts. And so we we navigated that together. We we brought on um, one of our fave uh, uh, trans voices, Jackson Bird, who's been a big leader within the kind of Harry Potter fandom for many years, but also really invited with voicemails from our listeners for, for people to share their own perspective. Um, and we we talked about it. And that's, I think, all we could do. Um, and we, we've really, you know, of course, we donated to translate organizations and things like that. But, but as a community, it, I don't think there's a simple, single answer to arrive at. It was really a, a communal conversation to figure out what's best for each person involved. Another rapid fire question. I hate to even like take a hard left turn after that, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, have you ever, when you take your tech Sabbath, has anything ever happened that you couldn't handle the next day? This is what makes me laugh so much every single time. Cause I'm like, yeah, but what if, I mean, but what if, and maybe this person, and what if, and of course, like Friday night through Saturday evening is for me, not a work day. So there's already less happening, but I still love to think that somehow I might be needed um, in some important way for the world, you know, <laughs> turns out after seven years, no, the answer is no, I, I'm not a parent. So I don't have caring responsibilities in that way, which makes it a little, little easier. So I'm not saying this is right for everyone, but in my experience, um, it's always a humbling moment when I turn on my phone and I'm like, Oh, two texts, you know, like, <laughs> it's like nothing is happening and everything is fine, which is great. <laughs> Nothing is happening and everything is fine is a great way to end our podcast. Casper, uh, we could talk to you forever. I think I think that is clear. Um, but we're going to let you go because that's what nice people do. Uh, before you go, could you tell us where we can find you on the internet, where we can keep up with your most recent projects and uh, how we stay in touch with you? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, the book is The Power of Virtual, available everywhere now. And I'm the audiobook reader. So if you like listening, then definitely recommend that. Um, the new podcast that Vanessa and I are doing is called The Real Question, um, which is definitely worth checking out. And of course, we have the whole Harry Potter and the Secret Text uh, catalog to, to work through if you want to do that. And you can follow me on Twitter at CasperTK. And we will link to all of that stuff in the show notes. I can attest that the real question is very, very good. I've already cried at every single episode. So thank you for that. I uh, cry too, and I'm hosting it. <laughs> I, I can't imagine you making it through. Honestly, I, I'll hear Vanessa's voice crack, and I'm like, is she crying? Is she okay? 
<laughs> and this has been another episode of We Got Goals, which is an asweatlife.com production. Thank you so much to Casper Turkile, like Smile, for being here with us today. Thanks to Ryan Barayuga for video production and to Ryan Deffitt for audio production. This is another thing that's better with friends.